Welcome to another episode of the Digital Built Australia podcast, the podcast that unpacks the ways in which digital technologies and data insights can shape a highly productive and sustainable built environment. My name is Adam Beck, and along with my co-host, Gavin Cottrell, we'll use this podcast to share insights about the places, spaces, and assets that we shape, and the policymakers, practitioners, and researchers and innovators behind the work. So let's get to it. My name is Gavin Cottrell, your host for today's podcast. My co-host Adam Beck and I use this podcast to share insights about the places, spaces and assets that we shape and the policymakers, practitioners and researchers and the innovators behind the work. So let's get to today's podcast, 50 Years of GIS and How Can It Shape the Digital Twin Narrative? Helping us unpack this important question, we have two amazing guests to help us provide us with their views. First of all, I'd like to introduce Catherine Hill, who is currently working for Jacobs as a senior consultant within their digital advisory business. Catherine has over 20 years experience in consulting and implementing information systems. Catherine is passionately focused on innovation and leveraging our experience in building solutions and products to improve outcomes in both the public and private sector. Kath's superpower is to simplify the complex in digital and loves to develop high-performing teams. Also joining Catherine, we're delighted to have Heli Kotasek. Heli is currently working with Veris as their section leader in digital and spatial at Veris. Heli has 30 years of experience uh, centered on geospatial data solutions, which would be great for today's conversation, and our key expertise areas around geospatial strategy development and implementation, data governance, and best practice. So thank you both for joining us today. First of all, Heli, a lot of people are talking about digital twin in the context of technology, but isn't data the foundation of a digital twin? Well, yes, Gavin, I think data is the fundamental building block of any kind of environment. And we've all, anyone who's spent any amount of time working with or around data knows that it's critical to have the key aspects of it, such as the accuracy, the consistency, the currency, and so on. So having good data and specifically fit for purpose data, because I know that a lot of people can get a bit of perfection paralysis around data, which is actually unnecessary. So having good data, I think, is actually part, only part of the story. The other thing that I think is very important in the data story for digital twins or geospatial or any other kind of application is actually the data hygiene that you apply to that data. So it's all very well having amazing data, but if if people don't know about it, if people can't access it, And if people don't know what it is fit for and not fit for, then that's a problem. It's untapped value if people aren't aware of that. And I think the other aspect is you really need to prevent data from going stale as well. So good data is one thing, but the data hygiene around it is the other. And the final part of that story, I think, is also the performance environment that the data's got to operate in. I know just recently we've had endless trouble trying to just simply transfer huge data files simply because the environment, the IT environment, isn't up for it. And so there's this other background issue around data, which is good data is great, data hygiene is is important, but the performance environment in which it operates is also essential. 
Thanks, Ellie. And I, I haven't heard that saying before, data is stale. So it's, uh, yeah, something <laughs> in terms of we've really got to be thinking of. But Kath, what do you think in your your view and yeah. your experience? I mean, definitely the data is the foundation. I mean, you know, you could just take a step back and go, what is the problem that you are trying to solve? And that really defines the data that you need. So I, I think we've learned, we've all learned our lessons that we can't lead with the tech. We can lead with data, but we can't lead with the tech. We have to lead with the problem that it's going to solve. I think what's most exciting about digital twins and the data is that it's moving outside of GIS data and bringing together all spatial data that we haven't necessarily been able to bring in before. And GIS is seen as a way of bringing lots of data sets together but when you actually look at the digital engineering data, you know, when they build, when they design and construct, you know, GIS isn't really great at representing that because it brings it back to points and nodes and vertices. Asset management information is presented as the spatial location or the 3D definition of the asset and all of the attribute information about that asset. And real-time data is represented as a point, a line or a polygon or a 3D representation of that. But if you, if you don't define the data from a GIS spatial, a GIS perspective, it actually keeps the data in its current form and actually sort of shows off to a certain degree why that data is so useful, right? So we don't have to wait for a BIM to draw inside of a GIS. We're actually using a digital twin to show all of the geospatial information, the digital engineering information, the real-time data, created like a gamification of actual people walking down a street, right, from a pedestrian sensor. So it actually changes the way that we see information, not just viewing it from a geospatial perspective, which is really, I think, really exciting. It, you know, changes cartography or the definition of cartography as well. So Kath and Hedy, I suppose, just recapping this this final bit, we, we see a lot of people wanting to get tech. They want to test things. They want to have a minimal via product. They want to have a proof of concept. Without that, in terms of data foundations, are, are we just creating new shiny things? Well, I, I think of tech, you know, of the two, the two parts of the equation, tech versus data, tech is the most dynamic of the two. A data the data principles for me have remained unchanged since I first started working with remotely sensed imagery almost 30 years ago. Those fundamental underlying principles of good logical data structures, uh, good naming conventions, good access, good documentation, that persists today. Whereas the tech that I was using 30 years ago is completely unrecognisable. So I think... Um, if you're going to really have any forward progress and success, it's controversial to say, but the tech doesn't matter as much. <laughs> it's it's the data that matters mm. more. Yeah, absolutely. So and the, and the data and the governance of that data, absolutely the governance and the refresh rate and all of that. You know, you could almost decide, describe it as the soft the soft descriptor of the data. That's super important. And I actually think it will become more important because the accuracy when you see it in a digital engineer, you know, if you see it in a CAD system or an iTwin system or a Bentley system or a Esri system, you know, there's an assumed level of accuracy and standards applied. But we won't have that 
we won't necessarily have that now with the digital twins. So it could be, it potentially could become even more important that data governance and, and hygiene. So Kath, Paddy mentioned about 30 years of technology in terms of the historical context, but moving forward, what do we think the big opportunities with the new digital twin market is? You know, when you think of all of the capabilities that digital twin will give us, even if you're on a couple of those capabilities in the whole stream, what it does for us as humans, it is really eliminates any assumptions that you might have. Think of eliminating assumptions or eliminating unknowns and then you think of safety, right? So imagine being able to do remote safety and remote access. So you can remotely in the digital twin access your assets where there's no management. You can work out whether there's been any tampering with those assets. You can work, you can get your field staff to have a run through of how to access those assets. You can teach them remotely how, you can teach them before they get there about how to service those assets. But, you know, also then from a fire brigade perspective, you can actually, while you're in the truck, work out how to enter the building and turn the alarm off and work out how to get up to where the alarm is set off. There's a huge opportunity, I, I think, around eliminating all of the unknowns or, and not then also having to even even have to actually go to site. So it's a lot around safety, but it's also around access too. The other thing that's a personal, I think, favourite of mine is that when you think of a digital twin providing scenarios of a change to the planning scheme or a change to a city or a proposed path change, you can actually engage with the community in a completely different way than a 2D or even a 3D map. You can actually start to, people could walk through, they could understand what the paths are going to be like. They could walk through when the, the bus, or sorry, the bike lanes are really busy and really give feedback on what the built environment is going to feel like before it's even built, right? In, and when you really think of the, the capability around gaming, you could really say, well, at certain times of the day um, along the river in Melbourne, this will be how busy the bike lane is going to be as people commute. Do you actually want to walk along there? Kath, you, you, you mentioned a lot about in terms of the opportunities to improve better services. And you talked about the capabilities, and that's something we passionately talk about when explaining what a digital twin is around visualizing, integrating, and connecting different data sets so you can perform analysis to understand how well assets or places and cities are performing and also the opportunity to, to simulate. But what I'm really keen to know from you, Ellie, is what can we learn from the past? What can we learn in terms of the, the digital twin market is evolving at pace at the moment? We're still working out what it is, how we can apply it for cities, infrastructure. What can we, what are the key things that we can learn on from 50 years GIS to, to help shape the narrative and the lessons learned from the past? So I think for me, I don't know whether it's just me or this time in our lives at the moment, but I really am craving a bit of a simplification of all this super complexity like a lot of these digital twin ecosystems and the IT environment and that 
is amazing and it's you know boggles the brain and it's it's really impressive but I like many many years ago and and now I still am drawn to those really straightforward, logical, simple solutions, those tools that do one or two things really, really well. So drawing on um, kind of Kath's example of, you know, experiencing the built environment before it's built. I saw this little article on LinkedIn and it was so straightforward whereby people who were looking to build a new house, and, and perhaps it can be considered like a digital twin light almost, people who were looking to build a house or renovate their house had their floor plan projected onto this big warehouse floor and it had all the walls and all the inbuilt robes and all the door swings and they could actually walk through the floor plan of their house in its correct dimensions. So there was, you know, we forget as spatial professionals that not everybody Mm. can deal with, have the mental gymnastics to deal with scale changes So this example was super simple because you were walking through your floor plan at scale and you could tell if, oh, the bedroom might be too small or maybe you didn't want the kitchen there. And I thought that was such a straightforward solution. And then I thought to myself, wouldn't it be amazing? And I don't actually know if the tool does this, to be honest. If you could kind of tap on a wall and go, oh, my bedroom's too small. Let's just drag that wall outwards a bit. And if it could tell you in real time, actually, no, you've made your hallway too thin and that's outside of regulations. So this kind of hyper-simplicity for the end user who is not necessarily spatially inclined or data literate, I still think is the holy grail and I think that when, when you ask about 50 years of GIS, I, I still, in all that time that I've been in GIS and the geospatial sector, that was always the thing that we had to perfect is that bridging of the technical to non-technical divide or the bridging of the data literate to the non-data literate divide. And I think if I if I were to really look back on my career and think about what separates good from great in a geospatial practitioner and what I would say will separate good from great in a digital twin practitioner, I would say it's being able to marry those, the three, what I often call the trifecta of capabilities. One is you've got to have the science of spatial, and it is a science, the science of spatial or geography or location or whatever you want to call it, it's a science. So there's one, you know, leg of the tripod. The second is kind of the logic of data. So you've got to have that organised, structured, pragmatic approach to data. And you can have both of those in spades, but if you don't have the third pillar or the third leg of the tripod, which is the creativity to be able to communicate that via a visualisation, whether it's a projected floor plan or whether it's a fancy, you know, 3D model of a digital twin, if you don't have that creativity, you've lot, you, that's all untapped value in that amazing science and that fantastic data. It's all untapped. And so I think what I've learned in my career in GIS is the, you know, simplicity will always reign, always. 
Um, communicating across the divide will always be a fundamental challenge. And what separates good from great is that trifecta of the science of, of spatial, the logic of data and the, and the creativity of visualisation and presentation. Brilliant. So bringing us home then, Kath. Wow, yes, let me, try, let me attempt to follow that. That's <laughs> a, a small order there. <laughs> I totally agree with Hallie, but I have a slightly different bent from looking at, I guess, from a, my time in the IoT space. I, I think it's almost, and it sounds silly, but almost to forget about the tech and forget about the data and really focus on the customer and what their basic need is and then doing small steps to take them on the journey. And I learned that in GIS. You couldn't build them a water quality model that's spatial-based that gives them all the answers. You actually had to show them the map and you had to show them the data and then you actually had to ask them then what are they, yeah. what do they want to get? Right. And then and then even though you had all these, I guess, assumptions about the use case they wanted to solve, it helped you refine those use cases because they're often the, you know, they're well, they were the water technical expert. You were the spatial. Yeah, person. and sometimes you have to show them a half-baked idea. Yeah. To help lead them down the path towards their fully formed That's need. Right. You pivot based on, on their response mm. as well. But if you showed them the end, they were lost. And I, that, so that's what, I, that's what I've learned from the GIS industry, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the same thing if I was on a digital twin journey with a customer. And the other thing that I've learned from, like, incubating innovation is that it's really important to look outside and learn from other industries yeah. that are more advanced. And I'll give you an example. When we were in the smart city space, we didn't look to the smart city IoT or digital urban infrastructure space, we looked to the water space because water was like five to 10 years ahead of us. So what have they already learned? What have already they solved so that we could skip, well, hopefully skip a few painful steps, but also set a vision? And then the other thing that I think it's really important to do is to say to your internal team and to your customer, are you actually happy to experiment which is a really yeah. is a really uncomfortable yeah. decision or an uncomfortable conversation for people, but we're in an emerging market and this is something what we're proposing that we will do for you might not work, but we will learn and we will learn together and it should be considered an experiment and then we'll pivot and, and get better at it. So sort of a slightly different bent. No, um, but that... I think that's fantastic. I think you both had your own individual views, but really equally important for people to consider when developing their own digital twin narrative that to take the lessons from the, the past uh, and also to take a customer-led approach as well. So with that, I'd love to keep on talking, but that brings us to a close. And thank you again, Helly and Kath, and thank you for listening. Well, we hope you liked this episode of the Digital Built Australia podcast. Remember, if you're not subscribing, you can do so. Head to your favourite podcast platform. Or you can also go to our website, www.digitalbuiltaustralia.com.